The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Well, why don't you hold your Bible, lift it up real high, and shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's Word, and my life will never be the same, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. Can you still see the scriptures? Yeah, you will be able to. You'll figure it out. Don't worry. I got you. This is more important. We're going to take it off quickly. All right, quickly, let's go to Isaiah chapter number 60. We're starting a brand new series. We're going to be talking about what I like to call uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Amen. Why do bad things happen to good people? My wife taught such an awesome word uh, from uh, John chapter number 15 last week. And uh, man, I thought it was awesome. It really explained a lot of the things that people wrestle with uh, in relation to God's true nature. And so we're going to be taking a journey looking at uh, who God really is, what's his part in the world. And if I'm to answer that question, why do bad things happen to good people up front? I'll tell you there are several reasons, but none of them is God. Amen. There are several reasons why bad things happen, and uh, none of them is God. And uh, religion is uh, really tried to take a spin on on matters, on issues, and 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 make God responsible for the bad things uh, that people do. And uh, sometimes it's simply because people wanna exonerate themselves; they want to excuse themselves uh, from things that happen uh, in life. And sometimes, uh, you know, the enemy just comes and he fights people, and because they have a wrong doctrine, a warped doctrine. They don't fight back. There are several scriptures that tell us to fight. You know, the good fight of faith. We don't wrestle. A wrestling is talking about something where it's, a, it's an encounter with the enemy. We don't wrestle against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities. And, and we're going to look at all these things. But I believe and trust God that after we're done with the series, you'll be at a place where you know who the true uh, enemy is. And you'll be at a place where you can fight with all your strength. Amen. Because if you are in the ring, let me tell you up front, if you are in the ring and you don't know who the enemy is, man, you're not going to fight as hard as you should. If you're in the ring and uh, you're swinging and you're thinking, maybe the enemy is God, maybe he's the one who put this sickness on me, you're not going to swing. Otherwise, you hit Father God, knock his front teeth out. Amen? You don't want to do that, right? So you're going to be passive. So a wrong doctrine around this creates passive Christians. Uh, uh, It creates defeated Christians. Amen? Uh, But before we even look at that, I just want to share with you, some of you didn't uh, get to see what we were talking about uh, yesterday at uh, Carrie's Bible College, Open Day, and the Lord led me to teach from Isaiah 60, uh, chapter number 60, from verse 1 to 3, and I'm going to read it quickly and draw this thing uh, on the board for you. Those of you who watched it, Uh, and uh, we're in the class. Uh, It's great for you to hear it again. Amen. Uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. 
by the word of God. Amen. So you need to hear it all the time. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Peter 1.12, he says he doesn't get tired of repeating the same things, even though the saints he was writing to were already established in those things. He said he's going to keep repeating them because he wants them to even be established more. Amen? So there are certain things we're going to repeat just so you get it, you know, in your getter. Amen? Isaiah chapter number 60 from verse 1 to 3 in the New King James Bible. It says, Arise, Jerusalem, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come uh, to thy light, and uh, kings to the brightness of thy rising. Man, I remember hearing this scripture many, many years ago, arise and shine. Everybody, anybody ever heard that? Arise and shine. And I remember hearing that and thinking, what is arise? What does that animal look like? I want to arise, but how do I do that? You know, you know, how do I rise up? What is this? Is this a protest? Is it, I mean, what are we uh, uh, rising up to? You know, and how do we do that practically? You see, I'm always about practical stuff. If it's not practical, I don't want it because it's just not going to work. Amen? I'm a simple man. You just show me how things work and we'll be friends forever. If I buy a television, give me a remote and show me how it works. And I'm going to work it and get the benefit out of it. So when I read, read scripture, I approach it with the same mentality. You know, what does it mean so I can work it into my life so that I can get some results? Amen? And so we used an illustration here because there are some words that I think are powerful uh, that are used here in this, in this particular uh, Bible verse. It says, arise, and when you arise, it says you're going to shine. For the light is come. The light who is Jesus, right? And he says, The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord arise upon thee, and his glory, someone say his glory. It says his glory shall be seen on you. So we used this illustration uh, yesterday. Can everybody see this? We used this illustration yesterday that when he says glory, uh, we could substitute that word for sun, S-U-N. This is the glory, right? We can also substitute it for the Son of God. Who might be the Son of God? Jesus, right? And he says for the purposes of this illustration, you as a believer uh, over here, you are the moon. And right off the bat, what's interesting about the moon is that the moon does not generate any light of itself. What we see uh, at night, full moon, half moon, quarter of a moon, what we see uh, at night uh, uh, from the moon is just a reflection of what's coming from the sun. Amen? So if there is an obstruction uh, right here, uh, the moon is not going to reflect Oh, the light that's coming from the sun. And so that's why sometimes you have a quarter moon, sometimes you have a half moon, and sometimes you have no moon at all. It doesn't mean when you have no moon at all, there's no moon. It just means that the obstruction is covering all the light that's coming from the sun and there's no reflection. Amen? It doesn't mean that the moon has all of a sudden disappeared. No, it's still there. But because of what's taking place in between the moon and the sun, uh, there is no reflection. Just because you're not producing results as a Christian does not mean you're not a Christian. 
It simply means sometimes you are just uh, allowing the things of the earth to obstruct the reflect the light that's coming from the sun and it stops you from being a true reflection of Jesus the Christ. And sometimes you know you just a quarter moon Christian. It doesn't mean that you're not going to heaven. It just means that you need you you partially there's a partial obstruction here and you're not getting the full reflection of what's coming from the sun. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, I believe verse 18 onwards all the way to the end is talking about this glory that shines from Jesus. And he says when we approach this glory, we must do it with an open veil. In other words, we mustn't do it with an Old Testament legalistic mentality. When we approach this glory, we do it with an open veil. And he says when we do it with an open veil, we are conformed into to the same image and we are conformed into it from one level of glory uh, to another so here uh, 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 the earth when the earth is uh, obstructing the light that's coming from the sun uh, the moon doesn't get to reflect as much uh, light as it could potentially uh, so sometimes as a believer because you are the believer right here right this is the church too Sometimes as a believer, when your focus is right here on the things that are going on in the earth, when your focus, uh, when are they going to get the vaccine? Ew, I'm just waiting for the vaccine. When you're trying to get solutions from over here, <laughs> man, when you're trying to get solutions from right here, you're in the wrong place. Amen? This is why scripture calls us to what? He says, arise. And when you arise and when you're over here, man, all that sun, all that light that's coming from the Son of God, all of that uh, character, you know, the true nature of God, you can't be up here and not be generous. That's what Dillian was saying, right? You can't be here and not be kind because you are now just a reflection of everything that Jesus is. So when he says arise, he says, arise and you will shine when you arise. And also he says, the glory of the Lord shall be seen on you. Amen. When you're up here, you move from, you know, I was sharing yesterday that I've moved from, uh, Pastor T, what a word. You know, when you finish preaching a sermon, usually people show up, Pastor T, what a word. I've moved from what a word to, I want Pastor T, what a life. Amen? And when you're up here, man, people will show up and it says, the glory of the Lord shall be seen on you. So what does it mean to arise? How many of you want to arise? You say, Pastor T, I think that's a good deal. I want to arise. Anybody wants to arise? Well, you have to get a red t-shirt and a red beret and join the EFF. No, 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 no. I'm not <laughs> What's it, What does it mean to arise? In the Greek... Let me read it for you. In the Greek, the word arise, in the Hebrew actually, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew, the New Testament in the Greek. And uh, uh, so in the Old Testament, Hebrew, did I say Hebrew? In the Hebrew, to arise means to awake. It means to wake up to certain realities. And you wake up through revelation. Amen. And one of the things you're going to have to wake up to is the true nature of God, who God really is. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. To arise means to be enlightened. 
It means to receive revelation. When you receive revelation and your mind is renewed, you wake up. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, The entrance of his word brings light. It brings enlightenment. When God's word enters, while you're over here, when God's word enters, while you're down here obstructed by the, by the earth, by the things of the world, which you shouldn't be focusing on things of the world, you should be focusing over here on the Son of God. While you're over here, Man, if you receive the word of God, it says the entrance of his word will bring enlightenment. It will bring an arising. And as you arise, you will be positioned in a place where you just reflect, you're just the reflection of the Son of God. It just happens by itself. You don't have to force kindness out of you. Say, ah, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to, ah, let me be kind. I'm going to be generous. Ah. General, no, no, no. It just happens. You just find yourself living that way. You know why? Because that's the reflection on you. You're not going to try not sin. Because over here, the reflection on you is just going to come and change uh, your nature. The things that used to spark you over here. <laughs> or before you got born again. While you're over here on the reflection, man, you walk in there and you'll be like, man. It doesn't taste nice anymore. This beer is sour. <laughs> Amen. It's not sweet anymore. <coughs> Amen. And so there's an arising uh, that has to take place if we're going to reflect uh, the true nature of God. And I want you to see something else that's interesting is that uh, Jesus get, gets to do all the work for you. The Son is doing all the work for you. Do you see that? Now, here's a problem with religion. Religion is trying to get believers over here to reproduce and generate what the Son is supposed to reproduce and generate. How many of you know that you can go and get as much firewood as you want? And as much petrol and diesel and paraffin as you want over here and light it up to try and generate what the sun, S-U-N, is producing. It doesn't matter how hard you work over here. You can't reproduce what the sun is producing. So quit trying to generate the power of God. God hasn't called you to be the glory generator. He has called you to just position yourself so that you can be the glory reflector. It will just shine on you and it bounces off you and impacts the world. One of the things the moon does is that it keeps the, the, the waves and the tides of the ocean in check. It stops the tides from literally flooding uh, the land that you and I live in. That's the job of the moon. That's the job of the believer. When you pray, man, and as you are a reflection of God, as you are praying and you are commanding things, you are literally stopping the tides of evil from overrunning our communities, our, our schools, and our society. Amen? And this is why, you know, in the end, uh, when the church is raptured, evil is literally going to take over because there won't be any moon, you know, any church to keep the tides of evil in check. Amen? And so God has called us to arise. God has called us to renew our minds so that we can be positioned here. And once we are here, man, we, begin to, we, we start to reflect everything that the Son of God is.
And by the way, when he uses this word glory, the word glory just simply means this, the infinite nature of God's resources for you. God's resources for you are, are inexhaustible. God's resources for you are, are infinite. Just looking at the sun, S-U-N, uh, they say scientifically the sun produces 418 quintillion uh, joules of power. If we could tap into what the sun is giving every single day, if we could tap into it, in fact, it produces 418 quintillion joules in one hour. If we could tap into that one hour and be able to receive that and store it in batteries, we can power the whole world for a year. What the sun produces in an hour can power the whole world in a year. Now you turn that around, what Jesus produces for you, what Jesus has released on the cross can literally yield the whole thing in a moment. Amen. Amen. So the next time you say the word glory, it's not just a, a religious term that we use uh, when the pastor is preaching good. Glory. Or when the anointing hits you. Glory. Ooh, glory. No, glory is the infinite nature of his resources for you. So when you say, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. You're talking 418 quintillion jewels. If you had a revelation, you wouldn't quote that scripture and turn around and say, I don't know where my rent is going to come from. If you really had the revelation of glory, you wouldn't say that scripture and then turn around and say, man, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. Man, you'll be so fired up just taking a peep and looking at what is in glory. In fact, the word glory in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, every time he uses it in the New Testament, it's always attached to God's riches. Extravagant riches. Go with me to uh, Ephesians chapter number 3 verse 16. We're going to read this, and then we will go back to uh, what we want to talk about today. Ephesians chapter number 3, verse 16. I'm reading in the New King James Bible. He says that he's praying, and he says, I pray that God would grant you according to the riches. Someone say riches. Man, you won't, say, you won't see this phrase in the Bible. Poverty of his glory. You're not going to find it. Every time you see the word glory, 318 quintillion. 318, did I say 300? 318 with 18 zeros. That's a lot. That's a lot. I used to be a quintillionaire. No, true. I used to be a, no, 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 true. True story. I had a note in my wallet that said 100 quintillion. True story. Back, back in Zimbabwe, I was, everybody was a quintillionaire. Couldn't buy bread with a quintillion anyway. So. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now watch what he says about glory in, in the New Living Translation. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited. Glory is unlimited. He said, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Amen. Amen. Man, 
This is God's love for you. Just like the sun is new every single morning when it comes up, the Bible says His mercies, His grace is new every single morning. You get a brand new uh, 400, 318 quintillion mercies. Man, you couldn't mess it up even if you tried. You get 318 quintillion chances. But while you're over here, you all of a sudden start to reflect the Son, the Son of God, Jesus. Amen. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Quickly, let us go now to... Uh, we're going to go to Second Peter chapter number 3, verse 9. We're talking about why do bad things happen to good people. Amen? We're going to look at various concepts that float around, and uh, we're going to uh, weigh them up against Scripture uh, to see uh, if they will uh, hold up. Amen? Our standard is always Scripture, not hearsay. As a believer, our standard is always the Bible. It is not uh, uh, barbershop talk. You know, at, at the barbershop, when the guy's cutting your hair and you run out of stuff to stay, you just start coming up with stuff. Because <laughs> after all, I'm stuck here on this chair and you are cutting my hair. So, you know, Ronaldo scored 67 in 2015. <laughs> it's barbershop talk, man. We, we're stuck together for the next 20 minutes, so people just come up with stuff. We don't go with barbershop talk. We go with scripture. Amen? Amen? And the word of God, the reason why I like the word of God so much is that the word of God is constant. Yeah. It doesn't change. People change, man. You change. I change. People will let you down, but the word of God doesn't change. The word of God is still saying the same thing that is said 10 years ago. Amen. In your finances, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? For with the same measure you give, it shall be given back to you. Bring me the tithes into the storehouse and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you will not have enough room to contain it. Amen. Pour it out, Lord. Pour it out. I'm here to receive. It's still saying the same thing. Some of you have changed. I have changed, but the word of God is still saying the same thing. It says the same thing on Monday. It says the same thing on Tuesday. It says the same thing on Wednesday. It says the same thing on leap year. It says the same thing in jump year. It says the same thing in hope along Cassidy year. Amen. It will say the same thing, Marshall, on Bry and uh, Burvos day. It will say the same thing on uh, Popeye's day, fried chicken and chips. It will say the same thing. It doesn't change. Amen? Amen? And that's why I'd rather go with the word and not with uh, uh, barbershop talk. That's what we're going to call it. Amen? Amen? And so the word of God is the same. There are two worldviews that have dominated the church in trying to understand this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? There is what I like to call the extreme sovereignty of God uh, uh, perspective, uh, which is also known as the Calvinism perspective, which is also known as the Reformed theology perspective. It's one of the things I check out before we even invite anybody to come and preach in this church. What is your concept about God's true nature? Calvinism, which was started by John Calvin, and, you know, I don't have a problem with the guy, but he was just wrong. Yeah. Amen. 
in trying to define who God is, he brought into the church uh, this view called the extreme sovereignty of God. And it's sad to say uh, 60 to 70 percent of the churches believe uh, this view. So it's not just, you know, uh, something we can ignore or wish away. I mean, this is this, what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to read to you, what they believe is alive and well in most of the churches. And this is what they believe. They believe uh, uh, this worldview. This worldview says God exercises omnicontrol over everything and you have no choice in the matter. This view believes that evil things that happened are ordained or allowed so that they can bring good in the end. This is what this view uh, believes. This leads to this view, fate, something that unavoidably befalls a person. Now, you know who else believes this view? The second largest uh, religion in the world, Islam. This is what they believe with an estimated 1.2 billion people. They believe this. They teach this. They teach that nothing occurs either in the earth or in yourselves without it being in a book before we make it happen. Allah created both you and what you do. So the extreme view, the extreme sovereignty of God view uh, says that uh, 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 God is omnicontrol. Did you see what I just did? I lifted up my hand. This view believes I couldn't have done it unless God had already preordained it in the book. Now, the problem with this view is that when bad things start to happen, people will believe, you know what, this was ordained or allowed by God. And if it was ordained or allowed by God, why should I fight it? It's my destiny. Whatever will be, will be. So this creates passive Christians. Because you're not going to fight. Because here's the deal, guys. If, if, if nothing happens, uh, that was not already ordained in the book by God, what's the point of prayer? Yeah, that's true. That's a very good question. What's the point of prayer? I mean, <laughs> he's going to do what he's going to do anyway, right? What's the point of coming to church? I may as well chill out, you know, find something else better to do and just, you know, get on with my whatever is going to be, is going to be. What's the point of even trying to choose something? Because my choice doesn't matter anyway, right? This is how crazy this view is. It says God controls everything. Now, some of you are already thinking fast, you know, uh, uh, a lightning fast mind. You think, okay, is this guy saying uh, God is not sovereign? I didn't say that. Did anybody hear me say that? You know, I went to that church and the pastor got up and said, God is not sovereign. I didn't say that. God is sovereign and here's what sovereign means. Sovereign means a person having the highest authority and power. Amen. You won't see any definition of sovereign that says, and the one who controls everyone. You won't find that. God is sovereign, but God is not omnicontrol. That's right. Amen. That's very good. Amen. When I woke up this morning, this beautiful Sunday morning, uh, uh, before I came to church, I went into my closet. And I looked at all the clothes that I had and I picked this jacket. 
That's the one I picked. And a pair of jeans. And I said, this is what I'm going to wear uh, to church. And I pay- picked another uh, pair of shoes that I was going to wear. And I looked at it and it didn't, you know, uh, 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 um, it didn't uh, uh, match up. No, not match. It didn't, uh, it, 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 you know, it, d- it didn't bring out the swag that I was looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Swag. That's the word. Swag, right? It didn't bring that man. You know, you gotta be. You gotta have some swag. So I'm looking at that, and I, I didn't see an angel from heaven say, "Okay, that got no swag." No, this was me thinking in my mind. I looked at it. I said, "Man, these ones ain't got no swag." I looked in the mirror. I said, "No, these ones ain't got no swag." This is me. I didn't see Gabriel. I didn't see uh, Michael with a flaming sword say, "Thou shall wear these shoes to church." No, I didn't. I went in there and I picked the ones that I wanted. And here's what surprised me: God and all of heaven let me out of the house with the shoes that I chose. I chose them. And he let me out of the house with the ones that I chose. The same way he will let you out of the house if you choose poverty. The same way he will let you out of the house if you choose the wrong person to hang out with. The same way he will let you out of the house is you, be, you become unequally yoked uh, with the wrong people. And then, you know, someone gets pregnant out of the situation. And then you turn around, oh, what happened? What are we going to do with it? And some believers turn around years later when they are preachers, big preachers. And they say, you know, the Lord allowed me to, went to go through that so that I can have a powerful message for today. Hallelujah. And the whole church goes crazy. No, the Lord didn't allow you. Your hormones allowed you. See, you can't go around making bad decisions and then you want to take a little bit of God and sprinkle it over. You know, we're going to sprinkle some God all over my bad decisions. No, no, no. If you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to make the right decisions. If you're up here, Man, it's going to be easy for you to reflect and make the right decisions. Can I get an amen? So this here, uh, if it was true, let's see how it holds up against Scripture. Quickly, let's go to Second uh, Peter chapter number 3, verse 9. I'll tell you to go there. Second Peter chapter number 3, uh, verse 9. <coughs> Here's what it says. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. We're talking about everything that God wants uh, to happen is going to happen, right? That's what that uh, perspective says. It says, God, it's going to happen. If God wanted it to happen, it's going to happen. Now, watch what this Bible verse says. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing. Someone say, Not willing. It says, Not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that anyone should perish. Amen. But we know that people are going to perish. We know that people are already perishing. So evidently what the Lord wills is not coming to pass automatically. Can you see that? It says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is that everybody be saved. Question, is everybody saved? No. Is everybody going to be saved? No. Jesus said the uh, 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 broader is the gate that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to life. Which means there's going to be more people in hell than in heaven. So God's will is evidently not coming to pass. And here's another scripture we're going to read. Uh, Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter number 30 verse 19. 
You have a choice in the matter. Amen. I said amen. amen. Listen, if God, God was omnicontrol and he just made you uh, do what he wanted you to do, he would make you come to church early. <laughs> On time. He would make you tithe. Amen. <laughs> there won't be an issue in the matter. He would just make you do it. So evidently, God is not in control. You are. Amen. I said amen. Deuteronomy chapter number 30, verse 19. It says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you. Who? I have set before you. Who might be you? He's saying, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. So that both you and thy seed may live. So, apparently, I can choose. God has given us, and this is the only one of the few things that distinguish human beings from the animal kingdom. Is that you and I can choose. Dogs can't choose. Birds can't choose. This is why the birds have been making the same uh, bird uh, nest for, for, since time immemorial. But human beings moved from uh, the caves to uh, mud huts, and now we have 300-story buildings. Amen? Amen? When was the last time you saw a zebra? If it was in America, I would say a zebra. A zebra at the saloon talking about I'm here to get a different pattern. I'm tired of these tribes. Can I get something else? Black or check check or something? No, that never happens. You know why? He doesn't have a choice in the matter. But you can go and say, you know what? I want you to give me a nice English cut and put a shade over here. And, you know, you can go and, you know, make a choice. You can look at the picture and say, I want that one. God has given to human beings the awesome privilege. It's a, it comes with a huge responsibility, but he has given us the awesome privilege for us to be able to choose. And so if you make the wrong choices, bad things are going to happen. Amen? I said amen. Go with me to Philippians chapter number 1. I'm going to read from verse 21 uh, to 20. 26. Let me just read from 21 to 26. He says, this is the Apostle Paul uh, 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 writing to the church at Philippi. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what shall I choose? Now here's a man sitting in prison facing the death penalty. And he still thinks he has a choice in the matter. Can you imagine? This is a guy who's facing the death penalty. He's in prison, but he's sitting there thinking, you know what? I don't care what the government does. I don't care what the judges will say. I still have a choice in the matter. He has the audacity to still debate two choices in his mind because he knows he still has a choice in the matter. I don't care how far you've gone. You still can choose life. You can choose Jesus. Amen. Amen. And that's the call for you and I today, this morning, that we should choose life and we should choose Jesus. 
He's sitting there. He says, uh, yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I can't seem to decide what I want. You're facing the, the death penalty, Paul. <laughs> you don't have a choice. No, I do. I, I can't seem to tell what I want. Verse 23, for I am hard pressed between two choices, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Did you read that? He said dying is far better. Have you ever met Christians who are afraid of death? It's because they have limited revelation. It's because they have a limited perspective. They think all there is is William, Nicole, and Santon. That's what they think. They think all there is is, you know, just, you know, what we see and what... Man, heaven is awesome. Heaven is going to be good. Man, I, I wish, you know, one day we're going to teach about that. When we are raptured, we're going to go to heaven and Jesus is going to set up his uh, earthly kingdom, the millennial reign for 1,000 years. You and I will have immortal bodies. Man, just walking through walls, just, just walk through. Man, you're afraid of dying. Do you know what heaven has to offer? Heaven is better than, you know, this. Amen. Heaven is better than what you drive and what you can ever drive in the earth. You know, people think when we get to heaven, we're all going to be clean-shaven, wearing white gowns, just walking around. Oh, oh, no, heaven is full of action. You know, just holding candles and incense burning and just, oh, man, we're going to do that forever. No, no, you need to read the Bible. Heaven is awesome. After Jesus has set up his millennial reign, he's going to rule for a thousand years. You and I are going to be in there with uh, immortal bodies, and we're going to be mingling with people with mortal bodies. Don't, they're not going to be able to get sick uh, or anything, but there are people who are going to be born in the millennial realm, and all of them will be coming to hang out with you at your house to find out what it was like in this world, what it was like to have an enemy, what it was like to go against him, what it was like to whip him every single time. When he tried to touch your kids with sickness, Come out in Jesus. You're going to be rehearsing those stories. You better start using the power you've got right now. Amen. Otherwise, you're not going to have any stories. I mean, they, for a thousand years. For a thousand years. You are going to say, man, you had the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah. What did you do with it? Oh, no, man. I just went to work and, you know, I just worked at uh, Woolworths and, you know, just. You know. I mean, what else? Come on. Talk to us. Did you know you could rebuke the devil? It's like, oh man, yeah, you, we, the pastor said it. What did you do? Come on, tell us. What did you do? Man, you, you and I are powerful beings. Amen. And we better have some stories to tell. For a thousand years, these people are going to be coming. There won't be any sickness. Go and read in the book of Revelation. It says no one will get sick, no one will get hungry, because Jesus will be the, uh, the, the, the president, El Presidente of that time. He's going to take care of everybody, every single one of us. It's going to be awesome. And there's going to be many cities. Uh, if you read in the book of Luke, Jesus gave a parable. He says the one who was faithful with a pound. One pound was given ten cities to rule. There's going to be people here that are going to be taking care of ten cities. I believe there's going to be people taking care of entire planet. Mars is yours and from the earth you can just say Mars and you are in Mars and you're starting to fix things and, and use your skills uh, admin skills that you have learned during the, you better learn something amen you better learn to be faithful you're going to use those skills and you're going to say okay I want this city here I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that uh, give your report back to Jesus it's going to be awesome we're going to be inventing stuff 
You just think it and boom, it manifests. It's going to be awesome. Amen? So heaven is going to be awesome. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, for me to uh, depart and be with Christ is far better. And then he says in verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. He didn't even say it was more needful for him. He said it's more needful for you. I'm staying here for you. And he says in verse 25, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, and that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So the apostle Paul made a choice. He said, okay, you know what, I'm going to stay. And he actually stayed. He made a choice in the matter. Amen? Quickly, let's go to Acts chapter number 10, verse 38. How did Jesus approach the world? Did he approach the world as if God was uh, omni-control or did he approach the world uh, as if uh, there was something else that was going on in the world? Here's the answer. Jesus approached the world as if something had gone wrong and he was coming to fix it. That's how he approached the world. And this is what the scripture says uh, in Acts chapter number 10, verse 38. It says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with what? With power. Then Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were what? (coughs) Oppressed by God. So apparently there is a devil in the equation too. Amen? Amen? There's a devil who tries to come against you and he's trying to come against your children. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is why you and I have to learn how to fight the good fight of faith. Because we have an enemy. Scripture says, submit yourselves to God, right? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Man, you and I have to learn how to fight. Because we have a devil. He says, those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with me. So, who is the source of sickness? It's the devil. He's the one that tries to make uh, folk sick. Not God. God is not bringing sickness on people. God is not bringing death on people. We have a devil in the equation. And you and I have to learn how to fight him. He's a defeated foe. The only thing, the only weapon, weapon he has in his uh, 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 weapon, weaponry bag is deception. The Bible says in Revelations, the great deceiver, you will be banished for 1,000 years. And even after that, he's going to be released for a little while. And when he is released, I mean, you would think if you put someone in prison for a thousand years, when they come out, they're going to be reformed, right? He says after a thousand years, the first thing you would do when he come out is to try and deceive folk. Because that's all he does. That's all he does. He's trying to deceive you. Do you know uh, uh, how to tell if something is not true? If it's coming from the devil. Because he's the deceiver, right? If it's coming from him and not the word of God, it can't be true. Because it's coming uh, from uh, the deceiver. Amen. So Jesus went about as if something was wrong and needed to be fixed. That's why he went about reversing everything that the enemy, the devil, was trying to do in the earth realm. In closing, we're going to look at one more myth. Myth versus Bible. Barbershop talk versus Bible. 
And here's another myth. All of this time, we're going to be looking at these myths. And you have heard them. Some of them you have heard them, you know, at funerals. Some of them you have heard them, you know, from your friends. Some of them you have heard them at, uh, from work. Some of them you've even heard them from life group. Because someone will just bring it up. And there won't be anyone to say, hey, listen, bro, that's not consistent. Man, you should always check it against God's word. Here's another myth. And I've heard this myth from the pulpit. It says this. You're listening? You ready? Wake up your neighbor. Make sure they're awake. Just, just wake them up. This is what the myth says. This is what the myth says. It says shepherds in ancient Israel broke the leg of a sheep who wanders. While the leg is healing, it is said that the sheep would come, uh, would become endeared to the shepherd as he natures them back to health, carrying the disabled sheep close to his heart. Did you hear what I read? This came out of the pulpit. This came out of the pulpit. This is not, I'm not coming up with this stuff. Listen to this. It says shepherds in ancient Israel broke the leg of a sheep who wanders. While the leg is healing, it is said that the sheep would become endeared to the shepherd as he natures them back uh, to health carrying the disabled sheep close to his heart. First of all, if you're going to look after sheep and you decide to do this, don't put it on Facebook because you're going to be in trouble. It's animal abuse. Amen? Second of all, this doesn't make sense because a shepherd would look after an average of about 100 uh, sheep. And you see, we don't think about... See, sometimes the church, just all you need is just to... Just, 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 you know, your street, your street, your street mind. Some of you have a street mind. You can't be duped. You know, when someone comes to you with foolery, like, nah, do that. Uh -uh. Some of you, not so much. See, I can smell a, a pyramid scheme a mile away. Because uh, uh, I'm from the street, you know. I'm, and then Pastor T, you're going to elevate and go become second tier. And then you're going to, and you're going to, yeah, yeah. I was born in the night, but not last night. <laughs> I'm from the street, right? <laughs> and it's the same thing on this verse. Let's try and look at it with that mindset. If you had a hundred sheep, if four of them stray away, are you going to break all four? And then the preacher say, oh, no, you know, you can't be asking those. Just listen to the sermons. No, let's, I mean, let's reason together. If four of them, you know, are you go, how are you going to carry all four of them? Because uh, on average, a sheep weighs about 30 kgs. Okay? What if the leg doesn't heal properly? What are you going to do? Okay, now let's weigh it up against scripture. It says the shepherd will break the leg of the sheep, right? So that when it heals, he carries it close to himself and yada, yada, yada. What does the Bible say? Let's go to Luke chapter number 15 from verse six to, uh, 3 to 6. So you're going to be replaying that story in your mind, that, that myth in your mind while we read this one. It says uh, in verse 3 to 6, So he spoke, he being Jesus, this parable unto them, saying, uh, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it, then breaks his leg because he wandered away? No, he didn't say that. Verse 5. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. That was Bible. The Bible says, The shepherd will come after you. Who, who, who might be the good shepherd? And when he finds you, last week he says arrow, right? When he finds you, what is he going to do? Kick you. Break your leg. No, it doesn't say that. It says he picks you up. And he puts you... Man, he won't even allow you... I know you've messed up bad. You should have, you should have walked home. <laughs> he won't even let you walk on your own too. He won't even let you fix your own mess. That's what Jesus will do. But over there, on that myth, it says God, God, he will break something from your life, brother. He will break it. And while you are going through it, the wilderness experience, while you are going through it, as the leg heals, Man, you're going to be close to him. And as you are close to him, you will learn to live that way. That's not Bible. It's myth. It's barbershop talk. It's not Bible. That's not the true nature of God. The true nature of God is that he is coming after you. I mean, I'll tell you this. If, uh, this is what shows I'm not even a good shepherd. If I had a hundred sheep and one got lost, <laughs> count your losses. The other one will give birth and we will be on one, 100 again. <laughs> Man, I'm a bad shepherd. <laughs> and I know some of you are thinking that. It's like, right on, bro. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm, no, I'm not doing that. This is an, I can't risk 99 for one. I'm just, you know, you know, this is where the money is. But Jesus is the good shepherd. Even for one, he's not letting it wander away. He will risk the 99 for one. This is why I said, I posted on Facebook something. I said, man, if Jesus could leave the 99 for one, evidently to God, numbers uh, don't mean that much. We've been measuring success in ministry and success in life uh, using the wrong matrix. If God will lay down everything for the one, we can certainly open up our big auditoriums for 50. We can certainly lay down everything for 50. Amen. Amen. No excuses. Just do the work. He will lay down everything for the one. So I'm telling you, God is not the one that's breaking your leg to try and get you close to him. If he was, man, you and I would be in trouble. Because how are you going to hide from God? I used to have a warped vision. I'm going to end with this. I used to have a warped vision of God. I used to think that God is out to get me for every wrong that I commit. Man, God is out to get me. God is out to get me. That was my mindset. I was thinking God is some old man sitting in heaven. He's already ticked off. He's in a bad mood. He's holding a long baseball stick. And he's trying to get me. I, I was sitting, man, I was always on the edge thinking, man, this might be God. Maybe he's trying to get me. 
No, God is not trying to get you. God is trying to love on you. He's trying to nurture you. And if you don't have this revelation, this mindset, if you don't awake to this reality of God being a good, good father, of God being the one uh, that will nurture you, that will take care of you, uh, that will love on you, that will never do evil to you or to your family, if you don't awake to this reality, if you're still wrestling uh, in your heart with whether God is good or is bad, uh, uh, you, you definitely are going to heaven as a Christian, but you're going to live your life in the earth defeated. This kind of doctrine creates defeated Christians. Amen? But for you and I, God has called us to be uh, victorious Christians. Amen? Did that bless you? Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Next week, we're going to be talking about do we passively accept or aggressively resist the works of the enemy? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are indeed the good shepherd. That you are indeed the good, good father. Lord, we thank you that you've laid down everything for us. Lord, we thank you that you will leave the 99 to come and find us. Lord, we thank you that you do only what's good. We thank you that you are the source of everything that's good. Every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. Lord, we just thank you that you are our good, good Father. We thank you, uh, Father, that you, you only do that which is good and you've empowered us to resist that which is evil. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just pray for everyone. Uh, in this building this morning. Those who may be wrestling and may have been wrestling with this concept of God being a good, good Father. Lord, we just thank you, Father, that right now you are ministering to their hearts. We thank you, Father, that right now uh, you are ministering to their minds. We thank you, Father, that right now uh, you are going to settle the issue in their hearts once and for all, that you are indeed a good, good Father. Lord, we thank you that you're also teaching them and training them how to fight back the good fight of faith. You're training them to resist the devil. You're training them to use their words to rebuke the evil one, to rebuke darkness when it tries to come into their households, into their homes. Lord, we just thank you, Father, that you are uh, giving them a boldness and a courage on the inside of them to begin to use that which you have already given us, to begin to use uh, the weapons of warfare that you have already given us. Lord, we thank you that none under my voice will live a defeated life. Lord, we thank you that none under my voice will be defeated by the enemy but father that they will walk in the spirit of victory that they will live in the spirit of overcoming lord we just thank you that they're going to overcome in their finances they're going to overcome in their relationships they're going to overcome in their body if anything tries to attach itself to their body lord we thank you that they will beat it and that they will be victorious over it we thank you that the same life the same spirit that raised jesus from the dead will come alive on the inside of them.
them and defeat every sickness, every bacteria, every uh, disease, every malfunction of organs that may try to attach uh, itself to their bodies. For the, their bodies is not the temple of sickness. Their bodies is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus, that they live and walk in divine health. We thank you, Father. And we give you all the praise. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And someone said, Amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today. <laughs>